Thank you, worship team. That was amazing. Um, before we uh, get started, I just want to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit uh, and be obedient. Is there someone here that is carrying a heavy burden? And when I say a heavy burden, you wake up and you don't know how you're going to get through the day. You're frustrated. You're tired. You're exhausted. You're like, why is this even worth it? Why, why, do I can, why am I even going to make an effort to deal with this? Maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe it's life in general. Maybe it's some other relationship that you have. If that resonates with you, would you raise your hand? Okay. All right. Thank you. So I just want to pray for you a minute because I know what that's like. I know what it's like to wake up and just not care. It sucks. It sucks to feel like that. And God doesn't want you to feel like that. Yeah, let's get some hands on this brother, some hands on that brother back there. Lord, we thank you that you're a good daddy. And as your sons, you love us and you want the best for us. And Lord, we just come into agreement right now for these two gentlemen and whatever they're dealing with, Lord. Uh, you know all the details. You know exactly what they need. But we just stand in agreement that your peace and your love would be a part of their lives today, Lord. That you would touch them in a very special way, Lord. That you would encourage them. Um, that as they go from here, Lord, you would continue to speak to them about their situation. Uh, and you would give them hope. And you would give them purpose, God. Uh, we thank you for this place here today that you've called us to, um, and that we can come and we can be in your presence, God, and you can fill us up, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen. Thank you, guys. Thank you for your honesty. All right, we are part two of the message. Uh, leaving a legacy. Um, so I want to start off a little story that I heard that I think is applicable um, to this. So how many guys here like uh, football, NFL football? All right, right on. I'm, uh, I'm okay. My wife's more of a, a football fan than I am. She's a diehard Bears fan. She gives me problems all the time because I'm like, eh. She's like, do you want to watch this game? I'm like, eh. What if that's what you want to do, I'll do it. But I um, heard this great story. Uh, there was a guy named Bo Eason. He was a safety for the Houston Oilers for, I think, four years. And then he got traded to the uh, San Francisco 49ers. And uh, he talks about how for his whole career, meaning his high school, his college, and his NFL career, it was his goal to always be the first person on the field and the last person off the field. And so when he gets traded to the uh, 49ers, 
he had accomplished that. No one had ever gotten there earlier than him, and he would always been the last guy uh, to leave. That was his work ethic. So he's the first day at the 49ers camp preseason. Uh, he gets there super early in the morning, gets all his pads on, goes out to the practice uh, field, and he walks out there, and he can't believe his eyes. Somebody else is already out there. And the person that was already out there was Jerry Rice. And he says, okay. Uh, you know, he knows obviously who Jerry Rice is. And he's like, I want to see what this, this guy's all about. So the rest of the team finally makes their way there. They go through their stretches and their warm-ups. And then what happens is they break off into position groups. So you have the QBs and the wide receivers. You have the running backs. You have the linebackers, linemen, et cetera, et cetera. And he says that um, he's watching over, or he's looking over at the QBs and the receivers, and uh, they are on the goal line, and they're facing towards the other goal line. And uh, Joe Montana is in the middle. He's the QB. He's holding the ball. And then they've got two lines, one line of receivers over here and one line of receivers over there. And he says the f he watches the f uh, he's watching the snaps. So the first guy up, some rookie, he doesn't know his name or whatever. Uh, Montana snaps the ball. The rookie takes off. He's running about half speed. Runs about 10 yards. Breaks it off towards the middle. Montana throws a rocket to him. He catches it, and the guy kind of just jogs back. Hands Montana the ball. Gets back in line. Next guy up, same thing. Montana snaps the ball. He takes off about half speed. Breaks it off towards the middle catches it, walks it back to Montana. Now Jerry Rice is up, and he's turned, and he's like, all right, let's see what this guy's got or what this guy's all about. Joe Montana snaps the ball. Jerry Rice takes off at full speed, runs seven yards. Crisp breaks it off, runs towards the middle, catches the ball from Montana, turns up field, runs 90-something yards to the other end zone. Doesn't stop there. Once he gets to the other end zone, turns around, sprints back, hands the ball to Montana, gets back in the line. And Bo Eason's like, okay, this has just got to be like a one-off thing. Like, he, you know, he's just, that's how he warms up, right? So they go through the rest of the receivers, same guys, you know, jog in, break it off, jog back, hang the ball to Montana. Jerry Rice gets up again, same thing, full speed out of the gate. Breaks it off, catches it from Montana, turns, sprints 90 yards up the field, gets in the end zone, turns around, sprints back, hands the ball to Montana. Bo Eason is like, this is incredible. He's like, I got, I got to see what's going on. So he says that went on for two hours, and Jerry Rice never jogged once. After practice, he comes over to Jerry Rice, and he's like, Jerry, like, that's incredible. Like, wh what's the deal there? Like, how do you go through the whole practice? You must have ran, you know, you must have sprinted like the equivalent of like six or seven miles at full speed. And Jerry Rice looks at him. He goes, well, you know, he's like, I just have this firm belief that when my hands touch the ball, I'm going to score a touchdown. So I'm going to practice like that. And he says, you know, that's an interesting introspective into who Jerry Rice is. But the point I want to make is that it's incredible that he had all these other guys that were around him. And by Bo Eason's account, he believes that Jerry Rice is the greatest football player of, of all time. Um, but you had these other receivers who were around that day in and day out, but yet none of them made the choice to practice in the same 
uh, way. They had the same invitation to do that same thing, and who knows, maybe they would have had the same accolades alkal as Jerry Rice. So the reason I bring that up is, you know, each week we come here and we get to hear from guys, speakers, you know, about things in their life or about situations, and we're invited to learn from them and decide if we want to take that those things that God has brought those people here to share with us and implement them into our lives or not. So um, I hope that uh, that would be you and that would be the kind of spirit that you have, that you have a teachable spirit um, and that you would want to do that. So we'll run through this real quick uh, for the guys that weren't here last week. So leaving a legacy that last. Uh, a godly legacy is not about what you leave for someone, but what you leave in them. Uh, and then we asked this question, when did you become a man? And we had various answers uh, to that question. And then we posed the question, why is it that in Western culture there is no clear marker of the transition from boy to man? Um, and that manhood has been slowly eroded from our culture. And then we went through the series of generations uh, that have taken place here in America, and we've watched how manhood has slowly been eroded uh, by the enemy because of the things that different generations uh, have faced and the compounding effects. Um, and then we looked at some of the results of that. Uh, one second, sorry. Okay, so today we're going to continue the second part uh, of this and get into more of the practical application for us today and the decisions that we have as fathers and as grandfathers and as even maybe great-grandfathers to help impart a, le a legacy into uh, our sons and our grandsons and our great-grandsons. So, leaving a legacy that lasts means that we have to be strategic fathers and what does that look like? Well, first, that looks like equipping them with the most important ways of life. What principles, what values, what kind of character do you want your son or your grandsons to have? You know, I grew up half my life with my mom, and I grew up the other half with my grandfather. And the good thing about my grandfather is he was super intentional about instilling principles, values, and character into my life. And when I was younger, I used to roll my eyes, but I would get up for school every morning, and before I went out the door, he would ask me a simple question. He'd say, are you going to be a leader, or are you going to be a follower today? And I'd roll my eyes, and I'd be like, I'm going to be a leader, you know, right? And he'd be like, okay, don't tell me, show me. I'll never forget that. It's ingrained in me. Don't tell me, show me. Um... You know, and that's something that I've tried to instill in my son. Number two, being a strategic father means we anticipate what they will need for each phase of their life. And this doesn't just go for boys. This goes for uh, girls as well. You know, I got a daughter that is going to be 13, and I'm already putting together the plan um, and what I want that to look like uh, for her and I know that my window is very short, and God is reminding me every day, hey, come on, put that plan together. Let's start working it. Let's start making it happen. Because the thing is, is when you put this together, here comes the enemy. 
It's going to bring distraction. He's going to bring uh, passivity, apathy uh, towards that. And you need to resist that and step into what God is calling you to do uh, in their lives. So number three, a father is a boy's future. No one can replace you uh, in the eyes of your son, um, and I would even say in the eyes of your, your grandson, if you have that role and that uh, boy does not have a father in his life. You know, one of the craziest things that I experienced is I used to work at this uh, boy's home, um, and it was a level four uh, facility, which means all the doors were locked, um, and the boys, basically this was their last chance before uh, they became of age and they were sent to prison. So this is their last chance to turn their life around. And the majority of the boys were in there because they had horrible things done to them while they were kids at some point in their life, whether physically, uh, sexually, just the saddest stuff you've ever, ever read. Uh, and here we are trying to help them, um, you know, learn, learn a couple things, like learn that it's okay to be told no, like how do you deal with your feelings, those types of things. But I'll, I'll never forget this thing, and this goes to this point of a man being a hero in a boy's life is they would have these days where the parents would get to come visit them, and the kids would get all ready. They'd put their deodorant on, brush their teeth, all those types of things, make up their room, all in anticipation for their parents to come. And if their parents did not show up, if the dads did not show up for the sons, you could, not, you could, you could cut the anxiety like a stick of butter with a knife in there. It was so thick. And I remember uh, a time where this kid's parents came, and now the parents had done the most horrible thing to this kid, the most vile things you could imagine. And this kid did not care. He did not care. He wanted his parents, his dad, his mom, like nobody's business. And you were not going to keep him away from his parents. And that just goes to show you the bond that God has placed in our lives as between us and our children, between us and our grandchildren, and the responsibility that comes with that. Um, so, yeah, the Bible says the glory of sons is in their father. And then what one of my mentors always taught me, more is caught than is taught, right? The, your kids want to see if you're going to walk the walk, not just talk the talk. All right, and then manhood can only be bestowed from one man onto another, a very important uh, point. So the first question that I want uh, you guys to discuss uh, at the table, it's not on my slides, um, but it's right here, is uh, let's take five minutes and discuss what kind of father did you have in your life at your table? All right, sorry to break up the conversation. Uh, we got about 11 minutes left, and uh, I got a lot to get through here. Uh, okay, so. All right, so there's three fundamentals of being, uh, of what's called strategic fatherhood. So the first one, uh, you can label the fast break, um, which means dad's compelling character. Um, and we had talked about that a little bit, right? Like every son wants to be, like their dad, but 
So what, when you're in your house, what are you showing your, your son? What are you showing your kids? What are your daughters seeing from you in your conversations with your wife, uh, the way you treat other people, um, even when they're not around, right? Because kids are always listening. They're always listening. They're always watching. I remember as a kid, my mom telling me to go to bed, uh, you know, the few times my dad was at our house because they needed to talk or whatever. We never went to bed. We sat at the top of the stairs and we listened to what mom and dad were talking about, right? Because we wanted to know. Um, so the second one, the assist, right? Dad's clear instructions. What essential, essential information do you want your kids to leave the house knowing? Do they need to know how to change a tire? Do they need to know how to use the microwave? I mean, I'm not, I'm not kidding. I know of somebody, uh, a son, who does not know how to use the microwave, as simple as that sounds, right? That, that's our responsibility as fathers. Um, you know, and it's one of the things that, looking back with my relationship with my own son, I could have done a better job of giving him clear instructions, things that I thought were maybe common sense to me might have not been common sense to him because I've just been around longer. I've experienced more of life. And then the third thing which we're really going to talk about is the score. And this is where you come up with creative ceremonies that help walk your child into the next level uh, of life. And basically for what we're talking about, how can you memorialize their transition from boy uh, to man? So before we jump into that, there's three things all sons, even daughters, need to hear. They need to hear, I love you. You know, there's a, probably a lot of us in this room, um, I know of a couple guys that went through their whole life and their fathers never once told them they love them. And what that does to your soul, what that does to your spirit, what that does to your confidence in who you are. The second thing is they need to hear, I'm proud of you. And then don't just leave it at that. You got to tell them why, right? What are you proud of them for? What are you proud of them because of? And then give them detail. And then the third thing is you got to let them know you're good at. What do you see that your kids are good at, your son's good at, your daughter is good at, that you can come alongside the Lord and you can call out of them um, and encourage them in? All right. So real quick, what I did for uh, my son to help him move from the transition into, from boy into a man is I got, uh, so this is my son there on the right, and this was a buddy's son on the left. They're basically the same age. They're both turning 13, which is a pivotal time in a young boy's life, heading into puberty, things with their body are changing, starting to notice girls. I mean, my son barely, it'd be like, We'd have to fight with him to take a shower, right? But as soon as he started liking girls, he was taking like two or three showers a day, right? So what I did is I got, uh, I approached my buddy and said, hey, I kind of went over some of this stuff with him. Uh, and I'm like, hey, I don't want my son to just enter this period of life on his own, not having any sort of direction um, and not being called into uh, a greater purpose for his life. Because I think back to my life, and I was that age, that was the age that I started, um, was a very pivotal time in my life, and I made some very bad choices, and those choices 
uh, as I chose to chase after girls in promiscuity uh, would end up being wounds that would affect me very dearly later on in life. So I wanted to be a good dad and try to set my son up for success. So I got uh, him and his dad, or sorry, him. I went to his dad and I said, I want to do this. And then I said, we need to get three or four guys that are meaningful in our lives um, as well as possibly our son's lives, get them together. We're going to go up to my grandfather's cabin. He had a cabin uh, up in Baldwin and we're going to have a ceremony uh, for them. I will take care of everything. I'll plan everything out. I would like you to be a part of it. Just get a few guys that mean something to you and mean something to your son. And then I want you to tell them they have one uh, thing that they need to do. And that is they need to look back on their lives in what would they tell themselves at that age that they could warn themselves about or is that is important as they transition into the next phase of their life. And I want them to share that with these boys at the ceremony. So I ended up getting uh, my grandfather. I ended up getting uh, my son's grandfather, right, my, my, my wife's uh, father, um, and then some other friends. So we had probably about seven or eight guys. I took them up there on a Friday night. We did something fun. We ended up playing um, What's the game where you shoot people with the guns and the little balls? Paintball, thank you. So we played some paintball Friday night, just had a good time. Uh, cooked some meal over the open fire, just hung out, played cards, watched a little bit of TV. And then uh, the next day, let the boys run wild in the forest. You know, they had BB guns and stuff, let boys be boys. And then that night, uh, the rest of the guys came up. We ended up having a fire. And then what we did is, each man went around the fire and they shared, hey, if I could go back to being your age, this is what I would tell you, right? This is what you're going to experience uh, moving into this next phase of your life. And they were very respectful, but they were very honest. Uh, and then it came our turn, right? So I told my son, right, I love you. I'm proud of you because I see that you're good at and then I just want to encourage you with what I would tell myself if I were your age. And then my buddy went. And then what we did that I really think made this thing so powerful, and I get to see it uh, play out in my life now because uh, I'm just part of some other experience, but I get to see the power of this, is we all came together and we all laid our hands on these young boys, and we prayed for them, that God would bless them, and that he would set a direction for their life and that we would be wise enough to listen to what God was telling us as parents to help guide them in that. And there was not a dry eye around that campfire that night. It was incredible as the Holy Spirit came and poured himself out on not only us, but these young boys. And then what I did to seal it off is uh, we ended up buying uh, some swords for these boys so that they could kind of memorialize this time uh, in their life. And God had given me instructions on what kind of swords to get for my son and to get uh, for my buddy's son because they kind of reflected the nature that God had put inside each one of them. So it was a very cool uh, situation and opportunity um, for that. So 
before I get into this, why is this so powerful? One, it's so powerful because it conveys to them that they are seen. You are seeing them and acknowledging them. It also conveys to them that they are worthy. You know, we don't always think about that uh, uh, on the surface level. It's like, oh, okay, this is a cool experience with my dad. It's so much more deeper than that. It also conveys to them that they are loved. It's one thing to tell somebody something. It's another thing to show them and to put effort into something and planning, even when they're at that age. My son still talks about it to this day. They will not forget it. Conveys to them that they are being chosen, and it also conveys to them that their life matters. And like I said, I get to be a part of some things that are going on where we do this type of thing for not only young men, but also old men. We've had guys as old as 80 years old that I've seen this same uh, thing happen for and the same powerful effects of other men coming alongside of them and basically in a way saying, you have what it takes. We believe in you. Now go forth and play your role. So the five requirements to a powerful manhood uh, ceremony. One, it has to be memorable. And to be memorable, it's going to require an investment on your end. It takes planning, takes time, takes money. Um, two, a memorable ceremony requires you to ascribe value to your son or daughter. You need to reinforce how valuable they are to you uh, through showing and through telling. Three, uh, requires symbols, and these symbols serve as a, as a visual marker for that moment for the rest of their life. My son's sword hangs up in his room to this day, uh, and a memorable ceremony requires the involvement of others who play a significant role in your son's or grandson's or daughter's uh, life. I told you I'm planning one for my daughter, right, so I'm thinking about who are the women that I want to come alongside my daughter and speak truth into her life. And then number five, memorable ceremonies require you to empower your son's life with vision. And this confirms to your son that they have what it takes for what lies ahead. Now, I never had a ceremony growing up, right? But I do remember this one time where uh, I had to go give this presentation, and I was super nervous about it. And my grandpa was sitting in his recliner, and I come up the stairs. I'm all dressed. I got this nice little suit on. I got this tie on. Man, and I was faking it till I make it, right, trying to, in terms of confidence. And my grandfather looked at me as I was about to go out the door, and he says, Michael. And I turned around, and I said, yeah. And he goes, I believe in you. You have what it takes. And it was like I was on top of a mountain just hearing that from another man, a man that I respected who saw that in me. Um, and it cannot be uh, overstated how important uh, that is. So I'll just wrap this up um, since we're coming short here on time. If you got to leave, I apologize. Uh, but some things to think about when you're considering this ceremony for your son, your grandson, or your daughter is what age uh, will they be when you decide to do this? Because there's different transitions. There's a transition from age 12 to 13. There's a transition from age 18, I'd say, to 20. And then there's another transition when your son or daughter finally decides to get married and move into that next phase of life. Uh, what can you do together, watch together, listen together in the weeks leading up to the ceremony in preparation? 
So what I talked to my son as he was entering into 13, right? I mean, that's a different age. We talked about sex and what that looks like. And I was very open and very honest with my son. And yeah, he squirmed and he, uh, uh, all, you know, that type of stuff. But I was laying that groundwork for him, right? And I would rather have had him hear that from me than hear that from his friends or from people at school and all that stuff. And once again, I think back to my own life. I learned all that stuff from the boys that I ran with that were four years older than me at that time. And they were all into girls and doing stuff with girls. And here I am, 12, hearing that. I'm like, okay, they're doing that, so then that's what I must need to do. Um, so, yeah, that was important to me. What life lessons from that age do you want to share with your son? What values and beliefs do you want to impart on your son? What can you share with your son to prepare him for the next phase of his life? What fun activity can you incorporate as part of the ceremony? What people do you want involved in the ceremony? Where can you hold the ceremony that would be memorable and impactful to your son? What kind of feast slash menu uh, would be meaningful to your son? What lasting words would you want to impart on your son? And then once again, what symbols can you incorporate in this ceremony that would be meaningful to him? Um, so I know that uh, we're over time. I'll actually see if uh, Vicky can send these notes out to uh, you guys. Uh, for some of you guys that um, want them, I see you guys taking pictures and stuff. But I would really just encourage you, wherever you're at, even if you don't have kids, this is a seed that's planted in you, uh, something that I would encourage you to take into uh, being a father. If you have kids now, it's never too late, no matter what age they're at. Even if they're gone and out of your house, this would be something very cool that you could put together. Call your son and say, hey, we're thinking about doing this. Um, or don't even tell him details. Just be like, hey, we're renting a cabin. I need you some dates that you're available uh, to show up and then make it happen and bless their lives with that. And if you're a grandfather, depending on your situation, maybe you go to your son and you say, hey, let's think about this. Let's do this for, uh, you know, for Johnny or for Billy or whatever your grandson's name is or even your granddaughter and bless them in that. Because remember, a legacy isn't about what you leave for them after you're gone. It's about what you leave in them that they can take through the rest of their life. And you can change your family tree and have a serious effect on the generations that come after you. So thank you for your time today, guys. Uh, sorry we went over, um, but you're dismissed.